So who do I need to know? And I started looking and with that, the who, I found the family, the group of people, and it opened this door for me to get in and start exploring these new areas and really changed my path of investment and changed my financial future. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Hello, Syndicate, and welcome back to episode two of the Surgeon Syndicate. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, me. Now, that's just a joke. Really, it is a show about me and how I got here, my background, a little bit more about why this show is here and the whole story. And then our later episodes, we'll start diving into some of our great interviews with some amazing guests. So it's funny being in commercial real estate, most of this being in big cities. I grew up in a small town in rural Colorado and a working class family. My dad worked for the county. My mom had a college degree, but stayed home with the kids. An amazing place to be a kid, but not a real exciting story. But we did live near the mountains and there were lots of fun things to do. It was a ranching community. So a lot of people had horses and we'd go on camping trips. That's where I fell in love with biking and skiing and the mountains. And it stuck with me through my whole life. With the things that are there, it allowed me to put a lot of time into things that I love. And that stuck with me through life that I really liked having or loved having parts of my life that I love. I throw that in because we'll get back to how that shaped my future. But basically, I grew up with your pretty standard background and pretty standard view on education and life. You go to school, you get good grades, you can go to more school and get more good grades, and then someday you get a good job. My dad worked for the state. You stay with that job for your whole career, you get a good pension, and that's the way life works. I'm sure a lot of people grew up with that same type of environment, but I struggled to stay on track. My mom loved to tell the story about when I was a little kid, I'd just keep asking why, and she'd answer, and I'd say, well, why is it like that? But why? But why? For absolutely crazy. I always wanted to see something different, and the standard course was not as appealing to me. And that's a lot of how I got into real estate is the standard course wasn't working. And as I go through this story, I think the big point out of it is if your standard course isn't working, then you look for something new that makes it better. And most of us are driven financially into a standard course that benefits them a lot less than it should. And a lot of us aren't exposed to a lot of opportunities. We have to dig those out. And so I grew up in a small farm town. 65 kids graduated from my high school class. We had a high dropout rate. So it was not a place that you saw the possibilities of the world. When I headed out into the world, I started seeing that I didn't like this path. And I left college multiple times, transferred schools, went to different places, ended up going to three different colleges and taking an extended trip through the education system. While one of those times when I stopped going to school, I started teaching skiing because it looked like a great way to be able to ski for free because my family couldn't afford with the money that I was making and for my family that skiing was something I love to do. 
but I had to scrape together all the money for it. And my original idea, I was going to go to the the scary and and be a lift attendant and get a free ski pass because I wasn't that good a skier. And when I went, they'd already done all their hiring. And I ran into the daughter of the ski school director who I knew through some mutual friends. And she's like, why don't you go to ski school? And the point of this story is how opportunities come up and it's whether we grasp them. So I was like, I don't ski that well. I don't think you want me as a ski instructor. And she's like, no, no, we have a a training academy and we'll teach you what you need to know. And so this academy, the price compared to buying lift tickets, that it came with the lift tickets and all this training. I'm like, wow, this is the greatest deal I've ever found. So I signed up and I went and I got hired. And it became one of the biggest distractions to me finishing college because I spent a lot of time skiing. But the amazing thing that I learned because of that exposure, because I spent time in working in Crested Butte and in Aspen and Summit County and Colorado and was able to ski with and spend time around some truly amazing people in the world, some of the world's most extraordinary and successful people. And at the time, I didn't realize it. But when I look back at this, I see that I was introduced to notions of success and what's possible that was different than what I was fed in the standard educational system. And these built up and became a big part of ending up in commercial real estate. One of the biggest thing was that I started seeing that all of the people who were the world's wealthy and fast lane people had a significant amount of money in commercial real estate. And I would hear about it over and over again. And the people who were new business starters, who started a business and built it and made their fortune would transition to where they had money in commercial real estate. So I always wondered, what's this thing about? I see this looking back at the time, I really didn't appreciate it. I was skiing and having a lot of fun. My 20s were a ton of fun. I didn't start medical school till I was 28 after an extended stint working full-time and becoming a ski school director at Eldora Mountain Resort, a little area west of Boulder, and then moving on to Aspen and eventually realizing that I wasn't going to be able to have a family on what I made as a ski instructor. And I needed to do something more, but also looking for more reward and to learn something new. And this kind of becomes a theme in my life that I love learning and I love learning new things. And I love meeting amazing new people who I can learn from. One of my bosses, when I was working in the ski industry, said once, if you want to be successful, always make sure you're the dumbest person in the room. Because if you're the smartest person in the room, you're the one who's most responsible for finding success. But if you can be the dumbest person in the room, surrounded by people with more experience, more smarts, more skills. And if you can get in that room, they're going to drag you along to success. And this has had a lot of impact on my whole life of loving to be around amazing people who teach me amazing new things. And then the success, and when I say success, I mean, just amazing experiences of accomplishing things that maybe I never imagined were possible. Things just happen because you're riding the coattails of this amazing wave of success. It's when you get in the room with the right people, the success comes with. And my kids hate all the stories I tell about the people I met in the ski industry and what I learned from them. Because they look at me like maybe the system we're in and how it teaches us to go down one path. 
And this is a recurring story because the financial world around us and where we're driven to put our money is typically in places where a lot of the gain goes to other people. And we're told that these other things are scary and not to do them. And I think that keeps us a lot of time from finding these new opportunities. And for me, that's what commercial real estate was. But I didn't see it right away. It wasn't an immediate thing. And so when I was meeting all these amazing people in the ski industry, I just thought it was cool because some of them were famous and some of them were famous in the business world, but they're not in People Magazine. So a lot of people have never heard of them. But it also introduced me to how much money there was out there in the world and that money wasn't just a thing. There's a lot of times that money's bad or people are greedy if they have money, but starting to see that successful business people were the people who really served the world the most. These are the people who looked at what does the world need? What do people need and want? And how can I give it to them? So they were more outward looking about serving other people than most of the people I knew, which was very different from my small town environment and what I had been told, because at that point, successful people were generally looked upon as they were being greedy rather than they were creating this abundance out there. And we'll come back to the abundance in a little bit. So I spent this time in the ski industry and then decided it was move on and went to medical school, went to the University of Colorado School of Medicine, which was a great institution. I had a lot of fun while I was there, still spent a lot of time in the ski industry. While I was there and still working. And the reason for that is I found that I needed more. I needed different stimuli and that if I was just in medicine, it started getting old fast. And I liked that talking to people on the outside, that I had a lot more fun when I had that variety of people. So I kept those connections while I was still in Colorado. And then I did my residency. I did a transitional year at Geisinger in Pennsylvania. It was a very different experience because Geisinger is this giant hospital in a rural area of the Northeast, central Pennsylvania, that's very different than Colorado. So that was a cultural experience. And then I started my urology residency in Richmond, Virginia, and my path because I didn't match originally out of medical school. And I've met a good number of people who didn't match. And I found that there's different ways to look at this because for me, it required a refocusing on what I wanted and finding another path to get there. And often doors will close and sometimes it's time to reroute. And sometimes we decide this was really what we want. And I'm going to reopen that door. I dug in and I pried that door open and found a way to match the following year after a transitional year and went to Richmond because now I was off track. I ended up with an extra year and got the opportunity to do a research fellowship and work in a lab. And it was a cool tissue engineering lab. And we were doing electro spinning of nanoparticles. And so it was stuff that was really easy to publish on because there wasn't much out there. So published a bunch of papers. Actually, I was in the lab and got put on papers with other people and got this great looking CV. But the biggest thing I learned from that is just because things are published doesn't mean they're important. Got really good at publishing papers and writing them the way they need to be written. But as I move further into medicine, realizing you can't believe everything that you read and you need a little 
deeper level of knowledge. This transitioned into my real estate journey that you get these offering memorandums and you look at deals and things that are presented to you, and they always have a really rosy picture. But just like the medical literature, some of those are very honest and some of them aren't. And one of the great skills is learning how to look at one of these and decipher whether they're telling you the whole story and how to ask the right questions to find out if this real estate opportunity or this medical literature is worth the paper that it's written on. So I finished my residency in Richmond and the plan had always been to go back to Colorado to work in a more rural area because wasn't a big fan of the city at the time. So we moved back to Colorado and I worked in Durango, Colorado, which is an amazing place if you've ever been there, kind of sits between the desert and the mountains in Southwest Colorado. But everybody else wanted to live there and everybody was moving to Colorado at that time. And we ended up with five urologists and a two and a half urologist market. And I was the new young guy. So I'd say I was making enough money that I could have lived on, but wasn't going to move along financially very fast and wasn't saving money for retirement. And they said, since I went to school a little later age, needed to make some progress. So we started looking for other opportunities and moved to Lander, Wyoming, which is another spectacular part of the world. It's next to the Wind River Range on the other side of the pass from Jackson Hole. A really wonderful place. And we were really excited to be there. There wasn't a urologist within two hours of me. It really looked like a market that we would thrive in. But while we were there, figured out that a lot of people in Wyoming like to go to big cities outside of Wyoming for their health care. So it was really hard as this small town urologist to get people to stay in town. And so I wasn't busy. And you start to see your skills lacking and realized I had to make a change and dive in a little deeper. So I started looking again and came across one of my mentors from internship who was looking for a partner in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And he'd been an attending at Geisinger for many years and then decided he wanted to start a private practice before retiring. So I thought I was going out to work with this amazing surgeon, Wen Yap, and I was going to work with him for years, but really he brought me into a place. So after a couple of years, he retired, but it really was a life-changing experience because I joined him and another amazing surgeon and kind of turned my career around and started operating and, and with a group of mentors that was able to build the skill set I'd always wanted. And we just developed this amazing practice that was super busy and financially rewarding, but it was very focused and I was learning more. That was always a big deal for me. I loved learning. I have those challenges. So I was totally focused on my practice at that time. And I'd go to work. And when I wasn't at work, I was hanging out with my kids who were still little and were in grade school and started traveling around Lake Superior and spending a bunch of time up there. And it was a really special few years. But then there were some hard times. The hard times are tough because it went into burnout and you hear a lot about burnout and it can be really difficult. But at the same time, through that difficulties where I realized I needed to forge a path that was going to be different than what was being laid out for me. And that's what really led to the real estate. And it was kind of a culmination of events that I kind of reached this point where I was doing all the surgical cases that I wanted to. 
I was doing the big tough cases. My outcomes were good. My operative times were shortening and I felt really good about it. But then you reach this point in the learning curve where the learning curve flattens out and you're just not learning as much. And I started getting a little bit bored there. And at the same time, my kids go into middle school and now they don't need dad the same. So my whole leave work and go home and hang out with these amazing little kids that were so much fun went away. And all of a sudden, life just totally changed. And as the burnout crept in, all of the things that made life good kind of went away. And that was really a time that I look back on now and I realize when things are hard, it's kind of when you got to dig in. And there's lots of different ways to figure it out. And I ended up, I hired a coach, which was an amazing thing who guided me through the process. I went back to some of the things I used to do for fun when I was in college. I'd race bikes. And so I started racing bikes again and doing masters racing, which I was never very fast, but I met a lot of great people and it was a lot of fun. It was healthy developing those healthy habits for your stress versus unhealthy was a quality thing. And I found some success there again, probably because all the really fast people were fast when they were young and now they moved on and weren't racing bikes anymore. And it was just old guys who, I should say that because maybe there's some old guys who are really good, who were good when they were young. So I was competing against people who weren't fast when they were young and had more success which was kind of my fun success again during that time. But back to the real estate, then COVID hit, which was difficult for everybody. But it was really during COVID that we talked for a long time about buying a second home up on Lake Superior and spending more time up there because it was a place we love to go. There's great cross-country skiing in the wintertime and mountain biking in the summer, but we never really pulled the trigger on it. And then during COVID, a lot of stuff started coming for sale. And we found this fourplex because landlords were nervous about getting rent paid because of all the things where tenants didn't have to pay rent. And a lot of that was going on in Michigan. And so these folks had decided they wanted out of that. And then this fourplex for sale, instead of buying a second home, let's buy a fourplex. My wife sometimes still ruse that and was like, why do I have to go up there now? There's work and there's these other things going on and it's not just vacation and fun. But it turned the corner where now I started seeing income coming in from that. And I'd wanted to do this for a while, but I'd been scared to. So I think the next part of this story is really that there's a lot of mindset stuff here to get through. And as surgeons, as doctors, we're told we have to be perfect. You can't mess up. You're going to create liability. You're going to hurt people. We're not really encouraged to try things out of our comfort zone so much. So when I bought this fourplex, I knew going into it, and I remember being so scared about it that I wasn't going to do it. We'd owned a rental before, and it was a giant mess. And my coach had said something about sometimes you just got to jump in and fail and learn from your failures. And so it was actually a little liberating when we started because like, okay, I'm going to buy this fourplex. I'm going to manage it. I'm not going to have enough time to do it. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to really mess this thing up, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to get better at it. And I actually got better at it a lot faster than I thought I would. And it was less traumatic than I thought it would be. And it was a really good experience. And I was like, wait, I can do this. This is a good place to start building a passive income stream, to start building something 
where I'm not as dependent on this job of being a doctor that was beating up on me and causing me to be burnt out, but also became this other challenge that I was getting better at again. And it was something new all the time. And so it was really kind of fun there. I thought, okay, we'll go down this road. But when I started looking at it from the standpoint of how do I get from where I'm at with this one little fourplex to not having to work if this burnout thing doesn't get any better? And I realized it's going to take a lot of fourplexes. And so that path was probably not going to happen, was not going to get us there because I couldn't scale it fast enough. It was going to take a lot of work to build enough small multifamily properties to get to retirement. So I had to look for other options. And so as I started digging, I'm like, so what does it take to buy a big apartment complex? And I look back and it took me so long to figure this all out. That makes me feel kind of dumb that it took me so long to figure it all out. So in looking into that, that's where I started learning about real estate syndications and how you could invest passively or actively. And at that time, COVID ended and interest rates were so low, prices went through the roof on everything that a retail investor could buy. So we looked at buying some single family homes to rent, but prices were going up so fast, they weren't getting cash flow. The numbers just didn't work. And we went through this with three or four properties, a duplex, and it was just crazy. Usually when you're doing active investing, if you're buying something and managing it yourself, you make more money because you're also getting paid for your work. But during this time, and because money was cheap, the professional syndicators, because they were pros and had money, and because the money was cheap, the valuations of these big apartment complexes were going up fast too. So they were really killing it. And so when I learned about syndications and how you could invest passively, and I started getting to this and I was seeing better returns on my money investing passively than what was available doing it actively myself. So we started investing in syndications, which was kind of the next step. And I'm like, okay, this is a great thing. People need a place to live. And this is going to be my path forward. But as I started doing that more, and now what's the next step? I started getting nervous because I'm a child of the 70s when everything was going to always go wrong in the 70s. The economy was going to get worse. Interest rates were going to go up. The communists were going to take over. So there's always this like, what's going to go wrong in my mind? So I'm always looking at contingency planning and have a really hard time looking at good assumptions without picking it apart for all the problems. So in looking at what was going on with these deals, I started getting nervous and especially looking at the interest rates and go, what happens if interest rates change? They're not going to be 3% forever. That doesn't work economically. And through my multiple colleges, as we discussed earlier, I was an econ major for a while also. And the standard rates through the ages were more around get 6% on a savings account. And at really low rates, it kind of distorts the economy. And I just didn't believe we could stay there and it was sustainable. And so I started getting nervous about some of these multifamily deals. And I'd gotten into a couple early on, and this is where you can make mistakes. And I was still learning, but I didn't have the mentors around me to help me learn how to underwrite or evaluate these deals. And some of them were giving you good returns because they'd get much better interest rates doing shorter term loans and say, oh, we'll refinance. Well, as 
you can't refinance at that low rate, things get in trouble. So I was in a couple of these and they started making me nervous. So I just kind of stopped investing in syndications and just money just went to the bank account because I couldn't get past. I was kind of stuck on how this all works. And then I felt like I didn't have enough control. And luckily, the worst of those deals, when interest rates changed, they sold that property rather quickly. So we didn't end up with things like cash calls, which can happen if you're in an investment and they start to run dry on money. They'll come back to the investors and say, we need more money. And now you have to make this decision, invest more to stabilize your investment or sit tight and possibly they have to sell under pressure and then you lose money. So it's not a good spot to be in. And a good thing to ask when you talk to syndicators, when you're looking at investments, what is your worst case scenario? And if somebody can't tell you their worst case scenario, I won't invest with them because if they haven't been down that road of how could this go sideways and how are we going to protect ourselves from that? What is our worst case scenario? So that's a good question to put on your list. And we'll talk about these questions to ask syndicators more on additional shows. Anyway, so we stopped investing in these multifamily syndications for a while while this interest rate thing played out. But at the same time, I kept looking like, how do I buy something bigger? And what else? And I'd always wondered for years, you know, you drive by a strip mall, who owns a strip mall? Who owns a warehouse? And I just assumed they were all owned by big companies, private wealth funds, and most of them are or a lot of the really big stuff, but there's a whole variety out there of commercial real estate. And so I started digging into that and figuring out, well, how do I invest in a strip mall? And originally I'm thinking about these big strip malls near the mall with all the big national clients. And those are great buildings for the reason that they typically have corporate lease payers, but they also tend to operate at a much lower profit. So the people who own them are more looking for stability versus wealth generation. And so I went through all these steps of where can I put my money? Where can I put my effort? Where am I going to get the most return for it? Where can I have the control to change my risk? And through that process is what led me to finding the non-multifamily commercial properties. So this world talking about strip malls again, warehouses, So a lot of time with the multifamily folk, when they talk about alternative investments, their alternative investments are self-storage and car washes. And they're all things that we all use. And so it makes a little more sense to buy one than some of these others. So there's less competition when you get into this industrial world. And there's also more creativity to it. So these properties, if you buy the building and it's empty, it's worth one price. But if it's fully rented and has a 20-year lease on it, it's worth a lot more. And you can kind of sell it up the equity chain. And so there's this whole variety of properties that you can find things that are super cheap or feel super cheap because their value hasn't really been pulled out of them. And when you buy them like that, there's not a lot of risk because you're already at that lower end of the price range or in the middle of the price range. And if you know that it's in a place where there's demand, it can be almost easy. And I don't want to say easy, but in identifying that it's empty because it's been mismanaged, not empty because there's not demand. 
and can quickly add value to it and get it rented out. And so I really liked this world. But again, I had no idea what to do. And back to the who, not how idea in the Benjamin Hardy book. So who do I need to know? And I started looking and I found a great group of people through the Invest Beyond Multifamily program, a guy named Ash Patel. And Ash is going to be on one of the shows here later. Amazing person, absolutely amazing guy who loves to share his knowledge with the world and help everybody be better. But with that, the who, I found the family, the group of people where there's some really experienced people in all of these different niches and some less experienced people who are hungry and are learning. And it opened this door for me to really get in and start exploring these new areas and really changed my path of investment and changed my financial future in a relatively short period of time. Three years, I'd gone from being burnt out and worried about if I could continue being a doctor to having developed this great network of people that opened doors where now I saw this cash flowing future starting. And I was no longer dependent on medicine and I could practice it how I wanted to. So that gets me to where I'm at now here and where really it is work optional as we're recording this. I'm in the process of now cutting back and working half time as a urologist because I don't have to work full time and I don't have to work so much that I hate it. I can work in a fashion that it's all good and I have time for my family. I have time to enjoy my practice. I have time to travel and I have the finances that make it work. The cash flow is running. I see it coming in and it's a liberating thing, a really amazing feeling. And I get a lot of different reactions from that. When I made that announcement that I was cutting back, there were some people who were really happy for me and hopeful and other people's faces would go blank that I struck a chord that uh, made them sad or jealous that you could see they wanted that. I think that's what I was seeing that they felt like somehow that wasn't available to them and they couldn't get there. And I encourage everybody, if you feel that way, it's a mindset thing. Everything is possible. I think it's Tony Robbins who talks about a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. So I was a child of the 70s who grew up in a small farm town where everybody was poor and we had a scarcity mindset. I grew up in the scarcity mindset that you're not going to have much. There's not a lot to go around. And the key to success is living with less and having less. And that people who have more must have taken somebody else's and we're making other people poor. Or the abundance mindset says the world, the universe wants to provide you. God wants you to have abundance and go out and embrace that abundance and share your abundance with the world. And as you share it with the world, you give the world what they need and you get even more abundance back. And it's a totally different way of thinking about it. So if it's scary when you see somebody else doing something that you would like, ask them how they did it. Join them on the ride. Usually if they're doing something amazing and they're going forward, they're going to want to share that. Everybody loves to share their success. Talk to them about it. It's awesome. My coach I was working with and that encouraged me to start this podcast more than encouraged, kind of like cattle prodded me into getting going because it felt so uncomfortable for me to do it. When I was really struggling, we were talking about 
what's my why for doing it? Why am I doing this? And at the time, I was really stuck on that it was another cost and probably wasn't going to pay for itself. And and I was struggling getting started on getting people to be on the show. And was I really going to meet great real estate experts and learn from them, which was my original motivation? I kind of knew because he encouraged me like, hey, once this starts and people will want to be on your show because they want to share their story, they want to share their deals, it helps them too. But where he really hit me was we talked about the abundance mindset because I knew I'd come out of this view of scarcity and it held me back. And was I sharing my abundance? And he asked, think back to when you felt trapped in your job and where you were stuck as a doctor, you had expenses, you had kids, you had a family, and you had this great success that lots of people were like, wow, I wish I had that. But I felt trapped there because I wasn't enjoying it and it was tearing me apart. He said, think how many other doctors feel that way. Do you think there's others? You only have to pick up a medical journal to see stuff about physician burnout. And he asked me if I felt like I had any responsibility towards these other docs. And it's really hard when you're struggling to feel responsibility to other people. And I think when he phrased it, that what would it have done for me if I went back 10 years or 20 years, if somebody had fed me what I know now, and I could have started into this world of commercial real estate a lot sooner. I was like, wow, it would have totally changed my life. It would have been amazing. I said, well, what about all those people out there now that need the same thing? And if you don't make the podcast, you are robbing them of their abundance. You're not giving them a chance to learn about this. And there's other places people can learn about, but hopefully we're doing the same thing. So that abundance mindset really carried into this whole thing. So we're bringing this to you to help accelerate your road to financial freedom and I share my story that maybe it rings true with somebody else out there and helps you get over your hurdles that may be keeping you from going there or just getting more exciting and helping you dig into it even more. So this will lead into our next episodes, which will get into some of these great interviews with some of these amazing people. Yeah, there's my stories about me. If you talk to anybody who's worked with me in the OR, especially doing endoscopy cases, there's far too many stories that I tell. So there'll be more stories. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it's brought you some value. Reach out if you have questions, if you want to know any more about this. But the best is yet to come. So please join us for the next show. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. And you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better. So I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.